0: Welcome to the Realtors Land Institute podcast, the Voices of Land, the industry's leading land real estate organization. Hello, this is Justin Osborne, accredited land consultant with the Wells Group Real Estate Brokerage in Colorado and New Mexico. Have you ever wondered how the best land brokers got to the top of their game? Confessions of a Land Pro, a new series from the Realtors Land Institute aims to answer that question. Featuring interviews with top land producers from various regions and markets, Confessions of a Land Pro uncovers the journey to the apex of an ever-changing industry. Today's episode features Bill Eschenbaugh, ALC, founder and president of Eschenbaugh Land Company in Tampa, Florida, in conversation with guest interviewer, Ryan Sampson, ALC, also of Eshenbaugh Land Company. Hello, I'm Ryan Sampson, principal of Eschenbaugh Land Company, one of the leading land brokerage firms based in Tampa, Florida. Eshenbaugh Land Company is home to seven agents who exclusively broker land deals throughout Florida um, and have sold in excess of 1.5 billion in land sales. Today, I have the distinct privilege to introduce Bill Eschenbaugh, founder and president of our firm, Eshenbaugh Land Company. Bill's accomplishments over the last 30 years are extensive, including Home Builder of the Year, Land Realtor of the Year Florida, National Land Realtor of the Year, Best Brokerage Firm, Top Producer by both local region, uh, the Local Realtor Board and RLI, RLI nationally based on sales volume. Um, and it, His career has spanned tens of thousands of acres and over a billion dollars in land sales. Bill's a strong advocate for education. And RLI. He holds both the ALC designation as well as CCIM designation and has co authored two RLI courses and has taught over two decades to RLI uh, students. He's in the Tampa Bay Builders Hall of Fame, the NAOP Tampa Hall of Fame, the Florida Gulf Coast Commercial Association Realtor Hall of Fame, and was presented the Henry Blanton Lifetime Achievement Award from the uh, Florida Gulf Coast Commercial Association Realtors. He's on the board of the Real Estate Investment Committee, as well as a senior advisor at Urban Land Institute, Tampa, um, and a number of other opportunities and boards to help give back. He has scholarships in his family's name, and we're extremely excited today and appreciative of his time. Welcome, Bill. Good morning, Ryan. Good to be here. All that Hall of Fame stuff makes me wonder, you know, holy smokes, man, I don't want to screw up now, right? (laughs) <laughs> we hear you. Okay, we appreciate your time. So let's get this started. Uh, quick questions for you. How'd you get started in the land business?
1: I actually worked in the subdivisions. When I was in college doing cleanup work. And then when I came to Florida, I ended up uh, with a home building company. And I love the land acquisition and the land development portion of what we were doing as a home builder. When I left that and started my brokerage firm, I said, man, I, I love this land part of it. So I've uh, just stayed with it for th- over 30 years now. Great. Uh, You began
0: Ashton Lane Company back in 1992. Um, How did you know it was time to go out on your own versus going to work for another uh, existing brokerage company? And what were some of the things you did to get started that you would recommend versus what were some of the things maybe that that didn't work out so well that were maybe a waste of time or money if somebody's looking to start their own firm?
1: You know, your mistakes probably scar you more than your successes. But um, in 1992, I had the privilege of, for two years, running the sales center for the state of Florida for the Resolution Trust Corporation, which was the depository for all the failed savings and loans. We pretty well cleaned up a lot of the good stuff here. It was time to do something different. And I was being wooed by a couple of national firms to come join them. Uh, And what made my decision really easy, I guess, was a fellow named Bobby Bird, who was a big time residential broker. Um, At the time, he was president of the Florida Association of Realtors as well. Came along and said, hey, how about, how about if we partner up on something? I'll put in the money, and you run the show. I've got some agents that would like to join you, do commercial, do land, whatever you all want to do. And it seemed like a pretty good deal. It, it was pretty low risk for me in terms of my personal capital investment. Um, he put up the money. He was very patient in, in getting that started. And believe me, if you want to ask the downside, if you want to start a firm, you'll probably underestimate how much money it's going to take, especially if you're starting a land firm because it's a long time to your paydays. So you've got to figure out that overhead and how you pay for it. Uh, one of the mistakes that I made was, was in that process, we decided we wanted to be a general real estate commercial firm. So we were going to do leasing, management, uh, and all forms of brokerage. And that put us in a slot where we we're doing a lot of two hundred dollars to $500,000 little office and industrial deals. We we're doing 1,000, 2,000 square foot leases. And I, I found I wasn't very good at it. I didn't like it. In fact, I probably would categorize it today that I hated it. And so after three years of that, we had to remake the firm and said, look, we're going to go back and we're going to reset the wheel here. We're going to focus on land. Some of you agents don't want to do that. That's great. We'll give you three months to kind of figure out where you're going and what listings you can take or not take. And I'm going to figure out how I'm going to go and try to make a living in the land business. So it was a, it was a false start. Uh, and we weren't having... Success. We weren't having much fun, and you just—you got. Sometimes you got to stop and go. Wow, why am I? Why don't I don't want to do this rest of my life. And that was one of my crossroads in 1995, three years in.
0: Oh, you know, I think you made a very wise decision in that. Um, obviously, you've been successful. Your primary business is transitional land, uh, converting land from agricultural to development path in Florida, which has been prevalent um, in that that time frame. What are some of the key items that um, some folks for RLI could take into uh, account if they wanted to get into that kind of specialty, not just selling ag land to ag land, but what are some of the th- things they should know or emulate about your practice um, going into transitional?
1: I, mean, I think transitional land may present more challenges on each transaction than almost any other kind of real estate. If you go out and sell a shopping center, you know your zoning, you know your utilities, all those kinds of things. If you go sell a house, you know the same. If you want to sell a piece of land, holy smokes, man, you've got a 100 different environmental things that can kill your deal. You've got zoning and neighbors, and utilities and demand and all sorts of things. So I think the best thing I found out a long time ago is take a, a blank tablet with me and a business card to go call on builders and listen to what they needed or what they wanted to do where they wanted to go, where they needed to be in the marketplace, because they understand the market, probably as well as anybody, they know where their buyers want to go, and listen to them and then go find that piece of dirt and, and go down to the courthouse in those days and figure out the zoning, figure out the utilities, and come back to them and say, look, you know, you can probably get this rezoned in six to eight months back in those days, and this might make sense. So understanding their need and not just trying to sell them something I had on the shelf, I think was the big difference of getting successful with it. And there were a couple of big national builders that didn't have anybody calling on. They were tough to deal with. Uh, A lot of people were scared to death of them, but I figured I'll go in and figure out if they'll pay me first of all. And that's always a key thing in this land business. Who's going to pay me and what their needs were. And I was able to get a few deals done with us home at the time. They were the big bear in the woods in terms of volume. They're also the meanest bear in the woods. And I was able to, cozy up to him and not get clawed to death (laughs) you like that one
0: yeah that's great yeah it's uh it's it's always always interesting to hear your perspective uh we're seeing a a huge uh shift paradigm shift with what's happening with covid um you continue year over year to be a top producer nationally with what we're seeing with covid and the rapid uh, changing technology how is the industry changing and what are you doing to stay on top of those changes well
1: over my career, the industry has changed dramatically. I actually sold a property in 1994, and then when the principal passed away, the family came back to me here, in, I think it was 2014 or 2015, and they showed me my package from 1994. I'm pretty sure your son, Ronan, at six, could create a better package today with his iPad than I did back then. Mine was a 7-Eleven map and cut and paste. But So I think that the technological shift that has occurred in access to information, uh, the, the ability to go online with... All of the programs that are available today to, to look at mapping, to look at public records, research, look at comparables, uh, and a lot of the stuff that you know you and I have talked about, we pay over 100000 a year just for some of those services with marketing and research that, that we're doing with our firm have changed dramatically. When COVID hit in March and we all went home and sat at home, you and I talked several times on the phone, but it was like, wow, what's, what is going on here? You, know, you and I were together back in 08 when it stopped Crashed and burned on March 31st of that year, we never did another deal. Everything else got terminated. So as we were sitting around in the spring of this year looking at it going, you know, people aren't terminating. They're extending for 90 days or something on their contracts, but they generally were not terminating. So that was different. And we had to figure out uh, with our builders what we'd do next. And I think what, what we were able to do with our webinars, if I look back at it, we did one. 15th of each month, starting in April, which amidst, you know the height or the depth of COVID probably for us. But we did them in April, May, June, all the way through October with guest panelists on there. That helped us understand the market better. What were our builders seeing? They were, we were kind of excited when you had a builder on there in May and June reporting they were making sales again, that they had figured out virtually how to sell a home, walk through on a, uh, virtually, that some of them were reporting sales that they never saw the buyer. The buyer was coming from New York or Philadelphia or somewhere finding it online, walking through online, and then all of their COVID compliance out in the fields to separate the tradesmen and get the inspectors in and out of the houses. It was pretty encouraging, but I, I would be the first to tell you, I thought on April 15th, our year was over, that you'd be uh, out in your boat and I'd be fly fishing if we could keep our company doors open throughout the rest of the year, that we're not gonna see another sale maybe for a year, but who knew, you know? So being able to, to kind of think it through, work it through, and I guess my best advice in, in, in something else that uh, you and I talked about is don't give up and do something every day. Um, as you know, I, I sit down every morning at seven o'clock on my computer during COVID and I went through and sent at least 200 emails every day to somebody in the database, just started with A, I got as far as D, but <laughs> I got to D I thought This is discouraging, there's so many D's and E's in our alphabet, so I went to Z and worked my way back to N or something, but I would do 200 a day at least sending out emails to people in the database and we got responses. 20% of them are no longer where they used to be. So we cleaned up our database or they'd gone somewhere else. So we got new contact information on them or I just got something back saying, Hey, take care of yourself, dog. We need to talk to you when things are over, when things get better again, call me. So it was a good exercise for me. And a lot of people were glad to hear from us and just kept our name alive. there during the 60 or 90 days that I did all that.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you bring up a great point. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be with you for, I guess, 16 years now, uh, going on 17, uh, working side by side with you daily. I remember 2008 when I thought, you know, the world was over. Pretty discouraged that I, being a 25 year old, just getting into the business, how brutal it was. And you said, stick, stick with it. Just show up every day. Keep working. Keep building your craft. It's a great, it's a great time to to get a focus and put it together. and In the next couple of years, you'll thrive because all your competitors are taking time off. And, and that was key. And, and obviously it has been uh, worked for us. And you've now seen, I don't know what, four or five cycles. And um, obviously that's what makes you successful. You don't it'll stop. So um, well, speaking of that, at your success level, what yeah. keeps you driven, Bill? You don't have to be here every day. You got plenty of money. You know, What keeps you driven to motivate the team during the good times and bad? Well, I've I've hardly ever met anybody who said I got enough money, but (laughs) you know,
1: money is a a measure of of your success and ability to stay in the game, I guess. Yeah, I could leave, I could go home today and never come back and probably not starve to death. Um, But I like the thrill of the hunt. You and I lost one this morning where we did a very serious proposal. We thought we were in first place, found out we were in second place, and that doesn't pay much. Bridesmaids don't even get a bouquet in this business. Um, I like winning. Uh, I like serving clients. I like the success of the deal. I like being part of it. And uh, I, I didn't like sitting at home in April and May with no interaction and no contrast going on and not much happening. Uh, love my wife. She's a great retired publisher, but um, it, it's not where I want to be yet. I don't want to sit on the porch. And, uh, and I've got horses. I've got, I've got things to entertain me, but I still enjoy this business and I enjoy teaching. And as you know, we've had a couple of new associates here. I'm really looking forward to bringing them on and, and leaving the land business a better place than what I found it.
0: You know, we have a running joke in our office that, you know, Bill didn't want to retire a day before I did because I was said no I to retire early. But yeah, I would concur with that. After sitting home for a couple of weeks to COVID, I was, I was anxious to get back to work and thought, yeah, I'll probably work a little bit longer <laughs> than it's retirement stuff is not as exciting as, as maybe it sounds. Uh, so uh, you're a big believer in networking. You you kind of ran that home with me that you got to get out, get out the community. You've got to get educated. You've got to meet people, and that you know success drives success. Why do you encourage that philosophy? And how have you been able to do it now with COVID? That's you know basically canceled all outing events uh, for the last year. Yeah, that was that was
1: a that was a big downer for me not to be able to go to some of those deals. As you know, I I still go to two or three meetings a week with the industry type meetings with whether it's NAOP or the Builders Association, that kind of thing, because I'm a big believer nothing bad has ever happened to me. Nobody's ever thrown a drink on me or punched me (laughs) at a builder's meeting. But I have come home with a new card, two new cards, three new cards of contacts of some kind. And I learned back in my early days of working in both my ALC and my CCIM that I needed a database. And it starts with one card you put in the second card, you put in the third card. Now we're 17 or 18,000 names in our database. We got those the hard way, we earned them. And we, we have contacts who make our phone ring and you make our phone ring, something good might happen to us. So I, I just believe in continuing to work that network uh, hard. And, and I found that not only with the, like the Builder Association, and NAOP, but with RLI statewide, nationally, uh, and the CTIM network, Statewide nationally, um, all continue to be very productive. And I was on an installation banquet yesterday with the local commercial broker association, Figgar, installing. And they had a, a couple of the old dogs that were around with me back in 1991 or 92 when we actually formed the first commercial overlay board in the state of Florida. We're going, wow, where did that 30 years go? You know, it's flew by, but we're so happy to see the diversity of both youth and the other kinds of diversity and particularly a lot of women now involved in the board here in Tampa, uh, that commercial board. So it's just great to see that transition, that change, that growth that's coming.
0: Yeah, I mean you talk about that database being valuable. We know it definitely is. Who are some of the key folks that land brokers should uh, get to know uh, to help them expand their business? I mean what resources uh, can they use and how can they meet those folks to help them that maybe aren't other brokers? You know, I, I took the approach that there are a lot of people who know a lot about what's going
1: on in this business who are not competition, but they're the engineers, the planners, the appraisers, the attorneys who do zoning uh, in our market. We, we're a big market here, so there are a number of firms in those arenas. And, and I found you know, appraisers uh, are they have a love-hate relationship with brokers, I guess. They know that they'd like to call the brokers to confirm sales and get information, but they hate the fact that they got to call a broker who probably won't call them back. And I took the opposite approach. I said, you know what? If I call that appraiser back, he's going to be very happy that he or she's been very happy. I called, first of all, they're going to be willing to share four or five sales they've made. And just the fact that, that we are cooperative with them. And you heard me preach this when you came on board, call them back, you know, call your wife first. If you have a, a spouse first, and uh, newspaper reporter maybe second, because they're on a real tight deadline and appraiser third, those are ought to be high priority calls at the end of every day because they have a lot of information. And so we found that by cultivating those groups, we've been able to get a lot of business. So it's just driven to us when somebody new comes to town and they meet with an engineer and say, well, who, who's the best department broker in town? I hope our name comes up. I hope it comes up first on the list, but certainly in the top two or three that group they recommend. One of the things that we did when you joined me and after a couple of years with the, a couple other people new here is I realized there were it was kind of a gap because a lot of people got frozen out of this business with the big downturn of 08. So we had your young generation and my senior generation, and you all didn't, you all, the young people didn't know a lot of us and we didn't know a lot of you. So we started doing campfire lunches where we literally brought in a campfire, brought in typically what you might find around a campfire with ribs and beans and corn and iced sweet tea, South, you know, good old South stuff. And each person went around the table and did a little introduction so that I got to know who you were and you got to know who they were, you know, the the senior leaders of an engineering firm or a law firm and vice versa. And I think that really helped helped us bridge the gap between generations and helped us find reasons to go meet with uh, those other
0: professionals. I mean, you have done so many deals and come up with so many ways to network. It's it's unbelievable, Bill. I mean, our firm's closing. I think we did over 63 deals uh, last year alone. We're closing more than one a week. How do you keep all these st- straight, first of all? And what's maybe talk about maybe your, your proudest deal and maybe one that uh, you you lost and what, what you can do to change that? Because everyone's got the, those tough ones. So,
1: Wow. Yeah. Um. Well, let's see. I think one of my proudest deals was downtown Tampa. I had a, a tough client who owned a piece of land on the waterfront, very, very rigid in what he thought it was worth. And the the market wasn't there. It was not ready for an office building. It was wrong side of the river for the condo projects that were starting to come along. The apartment market wasn't very hot. Uh, the Hotel market was already saturated. And the mayor called me one day and said he'd like to buy it. And the only problem was he said he didn't have any money. Well, that's a problem for anybody. Right? It was an eight million dollar property, and I was able to put together. What, what year is this, Bill? Uh, this was the probably nineteen ninety three or four. Uh, we were just coming out of the recovery of the crash of savings loans, and I had done a deal when I worked for the RTC with the Trust for Public Lands and a great guy named Greg Chelius. It was his first deal when he worked for, went to work for for Trust of Public Lands, uh, and it was done in Key West, and we made that work. But the trust of public lands would come in with money to help a city or government agency buy a property. And in two or three years later, when that city could maybe find federal money or state money somewhere along the line, the trust would make a little profit for doing it and it ended up creating land in the, in the public interest. And in Tampa, this one ended up, uh, we managed to structure an $8 million deal, trust public land came in, Mayor Greco was happy, we closed it. And then the next mayor came along and build a history museum on the site. So every time I go there, I feel good that I help do something for future generations to be able to enjoy this this uh, history museum on that site that celebrates the history of Florida and the history of Tampa uh, and everything from the cracker cattle and five generations or five centuries of cattle actually all the way up to um, to today's modern airport and so
0: that so forth that we did here. Great. And what about the one that you 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 wish you could have changed something to make it happen that didn't?
1: Well, there's a lot of them that got away. Um, you and I worked on on one that I, I wish we'd had done. That was Two Rivers Ranch. We had that under contract once, and our client, uh, for whatever reasons, decided to drop it. But it came back around, and we were there in the hunt. I just, I keep asking myself, what more could I have done to get in the hunt on that one and um, and stay in the hunt? We didn't get it, and it's going to be an 80-some million dollar deal that closes maybe this year or next year. Or so this kind of haunts you a little bit, but you know, where'd we go wrong? I get more bothered by the ones I lost, I think,
0: than remembering the ones I did. You have stayed involved with RLI for years. Over the 30-plus years that you've been part of RLI, what has it offered you? What kind of value does it bring for somebody that's out there maybe considering joining RLI?
1: As I'll tell you, I used to go to the national meetings, when the <clears throat> National Association we Realtors would have three meetings a year, and you, you know, so you felt like you were always going to meetings. You went to one in May up in D.C., and then maybe one in November in San Francisco, and then one in January in Hawaii or someplace. They're all great places, but you imagine today giving you up three weeks out of your life to go to just the meetings, it would be hard to believe. But we did that, and when I got there, and I originally was trying to figure out what was best for me, should I be a CCIM, should I be an ALC, and I tell you what, every time I went, I said, well, I really like those ROI people. They're soul of the earth, they've got integrity, and they're good folks, and they know what they're doing, and they really warmly welcome you into the deal. So I've got, I've got friendships within RLI that go back close to 30 years, I guess. And I just really gravitated to them at every one of the national meetings I went to. I did do both my ALC and CCIM together, I guess, 25 years ago, because last year I got a plaque from CCIM congratulating me on 25 years of the designee Des- Des- there. But I just found that what RLI was teaching and espousing uh, was great. But the friendships are great. I've gone hunting with Bob Turner and his duck blinds and go up to Tennessee and drive over to Arkansas to his duck ranch. And I've gone out with Michael Landreth. I celebrated uh, New Year's Eve in the millennial in 2000 or 1999, actually, with he and his now uh, deceased wife, Lister soul. But we just made those kinds of friendships that have stayed there through thick and thin.
0: History has a way of repeating itself, Bill. I mean, you, you, you are a big history buff. And I think you're actually writing a, a book on uh civil war. Uh, talk about that. I mean, what's something that we should be doing as the young generation to, to know about history that we could use it for our business uh, going forward? Well, you know, it, it does repeat itself. And uh, and
1: I am writing, a, it's a fictional novel based on loosely on some of my relatives who uh, spent three years writing the writing Calvary down through West Virginia and the Virginia Valley and so forth, but um, these things change. We we all went through a new administration being sworn in a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, we've, we've been here and seen that with Jimmy Carter. We saw it with, oh my God, the world's come to an end with Bill Clinton, and now we've got Joe Biden and we worry about what that means to our business with capital gains and a lot of other things. You need to be aware there will probably be some dramatic changes. Um, Housing may get a big shot in the arm. It has a couple of times historically. And if you look at the stocks of companies like Lenar, D.R. Horton, they're they're doing great. And I think they're going to be doing better under some of the programs that might be coming out. So be prepared for it. Uh, Be watching on the political side what might be good for your business. I mean, there are some things that are going to be bad probably for us. But watch it. Be careful. Plan for it as much as you can. And put some money away. You, You and I saw that in 08. Holy smokes, man. You know, our revenue stopped March 31st that year, never saw another dime in real estate commissions the rest of the year, hadn't quite planned on that when we finished 07, which was a pretty good year. So history will repeat, these cycles go up, these cycles go down. When the cycles go down, they're tough on a land person until you get to the bottom. Once you're at the bottom and it starts to sort out, there are cycles again that say there's opportunity. Because land has the opportunity for having maybe the greatest appreciation in a good market and maybe the biggest compression or downward cycle in a bad market. And land is probably the only real estate asset that typically could even go negative in value if it has burdens with community development district debt or other obligations to it. It might not be worth anything. You and I looked at some lots back in 08 that a builder wanted to give us, but they were burdened with $25,000 or $30,000 worth of development debt, community bonds for 30 years, I don't know if they'd be worth today what they went to, what it would take to pay that debt off. So we'd have been paying 10 years worth of debt, 10 years worth of taxes <clears throat> and still be sitting there with those lots. So land can go negative. That's a hard concept. Land can have really big appreciation.
0: Great. I want to change this uh, uh, question and answer up. Now I want to go with a little rapid fire. Let's hit you with a couple quick questions All right. wrapping this up and kind of give us a, this is going to peel back the onion about you a little bit personally. So one word, two word answers, or, you know, a quick little response would be great. Here we go. What uh, is one job or skill that you have that people may not know about you or know that you did prior to getting in the land business? Oh, a job or a skill? I can do a 15-speed <laughs> tractor trailer
1: at 70 miles an hour and keep it between the lanes.
0: Bill, did run a, a trucking company, in Pennsylvania uh, president of truck company for a decade or so. so. Forgot that—that's a good one. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I like that. What's one what of the first things you do when you wake up in the morning before you check those emails and you know start counting your emails at five a.m.? What are you doing?
1: Well, first thing, grab a coffee and head out to the barn. I got three horses. I run them in and feed them, check them over and turn them out and come back in and uh, try to email my broker friends just to let them know I'm up and working and respond to their afternoon or evening inquiries that you know hey the dog is working what
0: are you doing that's great um, websites is there a certain website you you go to kind of every day for, for pleasure or business
1: why well, I've learned to fall in love just with Google because my wife will ask me a question I go oh wait a minute you know I just grab the answer for her so <laughs> how old oh, is right. mom Brady oh there it is you know so um, I have a I've loved history and I love trivia, but Google's my best friend in that regard.
0: <laughs> that's, that's like Siri. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what about the books? Are you, you know, are you reading any new books? Do you read the newspaper every day? or uh, where, where do you get your, your, your news from? Well, my newspaper went to
1: twice a week, hard copy and uh, daily online. And my wife loves to, while I'm out at the barn, loves to give me the headlines on real estate out of the, of the uh, Tampa Bay Times. So she sort of short circuited me on that one a little bit. Um, I've got a couple of books. Actually, I don't even know the names of them right now. They got as gifts for Christmas. I've yet to pick up. Um, but, but one of them is a, a life history book on the cattle operations out in uh, Nevada from pre Civil War to today. It's given to me by a friend who lives out there. I met her on a trail ride. 15 years, 10 years ago, I guess, out there. So she sent it to me, she said, you're gonna love this. I haven't read it yet. But yeah, kind of, kind of looking forward to doing that. I, I read a lot of periodicals, Civil War Times, uh, Wild Wild West days, those kind of things that come every month
0: to so read those, religiously read those. Great. Um, if you could be anything in the world other than a land broker, what, what would you bid?
1: Oh, I'd love to have won the 24 Hours of Le Mans in sports car. <laughs>
0: Uh, see, I thought you were going to say a cowboy, you know, or a school <laughs> teacher and no a race
1: car driver. That makes well, sense. Well, I've been able to get of that car and put on a pair of boots and a, and a big Western hat, you
0: know, So a <laughs> <been> a combination. <laughs> Paul Newman or somebody, you know. Oh, Burt Reynolds right here. Yeah, Burt right. Reynolds. What's one of the things you struggle with? I mean, you're so yeah. successful in everything. What's something that, that gives you a hard time? Well, keeping up with technology today
1: and uh, even just even like, like Siri, I'm, I I don't – I'm, I don't understand Siri and I'm not sure I want Siri in my house, but just keeping up with some of the technology and watching you guys go, oh my God, I'm glad I got, got this young team here in the office that's doing it. It can help me once in a while because
0: it's, it's a whirlwind and it's scary. Um, if we got in your car right now, what, what music or what's on the radio? Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson. <laughs> uh, what would you tell somebody just entering this business? 40 hours a week of part-time job. Where did you go to college and how did it impact your career? I went to Penn State. I had a
1: cousin who was 19 years older than me. It was my mentor. I was all set to be a history teacher and go off. and I'd have been retired now for 15 years if I'd have done that. But he asked me if I knew what a history teacher made. And then he pointed out to me back in the day that that wasn't very much, like $3,500 a year. And he steered me and helped me along with my dad kind of in the background coaching to get me to think about Penn State and a career in uh, finance, which I majored in. And then he encouraged me because he was a developer and builder to take as many real estate courses as i could so he was a it was a huge mentor i miss him now he just he passed away a couple of years ago but my whole life he was a mentor to me and yeah i was sitting there in college i never had any money so check would show up with fifty dollars in it or he called me one day and said you need to go down to Belfast jewelry your ring is ready and i said why well, I, I could why didn't you just send me the money and he said, because you'd have gone and drank beer with it, you wouldn't have gotten a ring. I want you to have a college ring, you know. <laughs> so good mentor and um, and just a lot of help along the way. But Penn, I still have emails almost every day from five or six of my fraternity brothers. We email has been our best friend to stay in touch, be in touch, change, and we exchange jokes and watch they watch football and criticize you know Franklin and the whole coaching staff at Penn State. But they're uh, they're good friends and we see each
0: other once in a long time. Great. Uh, last question here before we let you go. Uh, what's the best place you've ever traveled and what's a place that you haven't been to that you'd still like to see? You know, I, 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 we took a cruise around the Mediterranean and we had
1: on the itinerary Dubrovnik in Croatia. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to go to Dubrovnik. We landed here and it's a little walled city with no vehicles. We would love to go back there and spend the summer. Just a beautiful city right on the Mediterranean. So loved it. Um, we had a cruise schedule where I want to go and it got canceled due to COVID, but it was started in Sweden, went over to, to Russia and back to Germany and then to Norway with a, a train trip across Norway with one of those scenic cars. I wouldn't do that if the world would ever get safe to travel again. But I got really my appetite really got up for that travel and then it got canceled on us.
0: Well, Bill, we truly appreciate your time. Thank you so much for the insight. Uh, And if anyone has any questions, feel free to visit thedirtdog.com and call Bill or myself. We're happy to to provide any uh, knowledge or advice we can to any RLI members.
1: I have to say to, to all the RLI people, make it work for you. It will really be a plus as your career goes forward with the friendships you make and the quality of people you meet at RLI, with lifelong friends.
0: And with that, thank you.